1: This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring this podcast. Today, I am chatting with Karen Walrand about the Lightmakers Manifesto. Karen is a lawyer, leadership coach, and activist, a certified dare to lead facilitator in Brene Brown's research on courage, vulnerability, and empathy. She has helped thousands of people around the world find purpose and meaning in their work. As a photographer, she traveled throughout Africa with the One Campaign and serves on the board for the Houston Coalition Against Hate. She and her work have been featured on PBS, Huffington Post, CNN.com, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Karen, her husband, and their daughter live in Houston, Texas. I hope you enjoy our conversation.
0: Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many
1: decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. Welcome, Karen. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. I always love talking to other Houstonians, so this just makes my day. Yeah, absolutely. It's always so fun. Well, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about the Lightmakers Manifesto for those that won't have read it yet?
0: Yeah. So, the Lightmakers Manifesto, which has just come out, is my second book, and it's about the intersection of joy and activism, which at first blush might be a very weird intersection (laughs) to have. But basically, it's about my own story and my own claiming of the title activist, but also the stories of a lot of other people who I've known for a long time. Some of them, some of them are brand new friends who are all also activists. And it kind of blows apart sort of the stereotypical definition of activism and helps people really kind of come to terms with ways that they can be activists themselves in their own lives. And in a way that allows them to not burn out or at least minimize burnout and really tap into the joy of serving others.
1: Well, and to find the time, I always feel so overwhelmed by activism. There are so many things going wrong, and you just think, as an individual, can I really help in any way? And so I think reading a book like yours, where it does make you think, okay, there are many ways to be an activist and try to put the joy into it and not the fear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In the process of bringing this book to the world, I've heard so many people say things like, you know, I don't know, I, I don't, uh, activism's kind of a dirty word, or I'm afraid to get into activism and I could get it wrong and that kind of thing. And really, this book is intended to sort of help people do a lot of introspection into their lives into ways that they can do the things that they love to do already, that things that already bring them joy and figure out how they could serve other people or serve other communities or serve their community by just doing what's innately something that they really enjoy doing.
1: Right. Incorporate the love of whatever it is. And then also just your own kind of moral compass or make sure you're calling out the things that you feel aren't correct or doing something about them. But as part of your everyday life, not having to form a new corporation or devote 80 hours a week to it or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Unless that's what you want to do. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But I think for most people or many people, they don't have 80 hours a week to do that. And so, you know, that's where I think a lot of people get hung up. They're thinking, it's got to be all or nothing, but I think your book really points out it can be somewhere in the middle as well. Absolutely. And it should be,
0: honestly. I think it should be whatever is a way that fulfills you and provides meaning and purpose in your life, How whatever that feels like for you. And for some people, it is an 80-hour-a-week sort of endeavor. And for some people, it's you know, maybe an hour a month or something even less. Like you, you just sort of tap into your own rhythms and figure out how you can do this in a way that's fulfilling for everybody.
1: I agree. And the other part of your book I really liked because it's something I have struggled with a lot in the last year and a half is worrying about what I'm saying, whether I'm saying the wrong thing and to the wrong people and because of social media and everything living out in the world, you don't want to be called out on something. Or you've accidentally said the wrong thing, yeah. And I was just happy to hear you say that because I feel like that's something I struggle with a lot. And I was happy to realize that somebody as prominent as you also struggles with that a little bit.
0: Oh, I think I think it's natural to struggle with it, and I've, I especially in this time where we share pictures of our latte art for goodness' sake, right? Like it's such a public way of life that people have, and you know, I like to remind people it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to broadcast everything that you're doing, and also in order to be able to feel a little bit bulletproof from any criticisms or anything that that you receive, is to be really, really clear on your values and what you're trying to do and what your lane is, right? And so you can help filter out the criticism that's just noise, that's sort of from the cheap seats, and also the criticism that's actually very helpful and that can help you be a better activist.
1: That's true. Kind of learn from those people that have already gone down the road you're going down now. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that raises a question that I was going to ask a little later, but it kind of feels like it fits in right now. Sure, Performance activism. Yeah. So this is one of those things that just absolutely drives me crazy. As a bookstagrammer, I see so many times when the black square or designating how many books you're reading by a certain group of people or things like that, that I feel like people are sort of patting themselves on the back versus trying to actually make a difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, You've actually touched a nerve for me as well. <laughs> I'll be honest for you. So One of the things that I I think that I'd like to talk a little bit about right here is sort of the definition of activism, because I really feel like, you know, at first blush, people think that activism is sort of putting yourself at peril or doing something that where you could get tear gassed or arrested. (laughs) And that's certainly a form of activism. But I like to define activism. And I define activism in the book as being led by your values to purposeful action and the hopes of making the world brighter for others, right? And that opens up a whole lot of things. And so one of the things that you've just mentioned, this performance activism thing, I think one of the filters or one of the discernments that we should go through as we do some of this is, am I doing this really to help serve or am I doing this for myself, right? To kind of stroke a ego part of me, like look at me being really great about this, right? And I think if you are really honest with yourself, you start to realize that if i'm doing something and it's really about making me look good, that's not activism, right? Like activism specifically is for making the world brighter for others. And sort of using that discernment i think is really important. And i get it, it can be very seductive, you know, to say i'm going to be part of a movement that puts black squares up there, but really what is the black square doing? Is it making you look like a part of a movement and is it about you or is it actually about serving whoever it is that you're purporting to serve. And I think that's a really important discernment that we all really should do.
1: I agree completely. I think a lot of people do that because they want to pat on the back or they want to feel like they've jumped on whatever the current train is. Yeah. But instead, I think if you just do what you're describing and do it with your everyday life and in your own actions versus in a public place where you're expecting people to say, okay, great, she joined, I think it's going to be much more authentic and much more purposeful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, I mean, that's not to say that if you have a huge platform, that you shouldn't use it in service of other people. Like if, they're, if you're trying to bring attention to an organization that's doing some really great work or something like that. I think that's absolutely a positive use and an activism use to use your platform. It's just really kind of being very clear about who are you serving when you put the post up.
1: Oh, absolutely. I definitely was not saying that, but I think there's a much more authentic way to do it. Absolutely. Instead of saying, I read this many books or I've done this many things by these people, you can highlight a particular book and what you liked about it and why it's important and how it resonated with you and those kinds of things. And I think that for me, if I see that post, I'm going to read it. I'm going to pay attention and think, oh, that book might really be helpful to me versus if I just see, okay, somebody's really focusing on whatever it is in their reading or they've got a black square up.
0: I think that's right. And you know, what you just said, I think what I think the reason that it resonates so well is if you talk about a specific book, or you talk about this is why it resonated, or this is why this, this author is really important to me is really what you're doing is you're telling a story, right? Like you're telling a story of how something affects you, or you're telling a story about how, You want to be of service, or why this issue is important to you. And story is just such an amazingly resonant way to connect with people and to move people, right? It's one of the biggest powers that we have is to be able to tell personal story to do that. And I think that's another thing, right? Not just like, I want to put my Instagram, you know, make it a different color because this is what's happening. I mean, that's not really that personal or as profound as it is saying, this cause is really important to me because. X. And so I want you guys to do X, to, do, to, to give, to read this author, to do whatever, and sort of propel people. That's a whole other different thing. So yeah, absolutely. There's a way to do it in an authentic way. And by attaching your own story and perspective to it is a really convenient way to kind of tap into that authenticity.
1: I agree completely. So let's back up a little bit because I just wanted to talk about that because it felt relevant to what we were in the middle of. But I want to know how you decided to write the book.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I this question always makes me laugh because I would love to say that I had this muse inside of me crying out to write this book, and that would be totally a lie if I said that. The truth of the matter is, it kind of came to me serendipitously. In that I, I you know, every year I tend to choose a word to kind of help guide me for the year forward, and at the end of 2019, for 2020, I had chosen the words bold and experiment. And it just so happened that this woman emailed me on January 2nd, this woman who eventually became my editor and my publisher. And she said, Hey, I'm with a publisher. And we're considering a book on the intersection of joy and activism. And I've read your other works. And I've read your newsletter. And I think you could be the one to do it. Could you can we get together and connect and you know, normally I would have ignored that, right? I would have been like, I don't know who this person is. I'm just going to ignore this email, but bold and experiment was my, were my two words. And so, so I took the call and, you know, and then she said, well, I think you can do this. And I will be honest, I did not consider myself an activist at the time that this had happened, but bold and experiment. So I said, yes, of course I could totally write this book. Right. But you know, I thought this is silly. I'm not qualified to do this. I mean, sure, I've participated in a march and a protest in the past and I've worked with organizations and NGOs in the past, but that's not activism, because activism, I you gotta get arrested, right? Or you gotta get tear gassed. And so, you know, I really, really genuinely did not think that I was going to write a book about me. I thought, well, you know, I love interviewing people and I know activists, so maybe I this book will be me sharing these activist stories. And so I I made a list of people that I knew who I considered activists, like Brene Brown, who does a lot of anti-discrimination work and is a good friend, and Tarana Burke, who founded the Me Too movement, and she's a friend of mine as well, and a bunch of other people. And after I made the list of these people that I was going to tap in for their wisdom, I realized that none of them were people that I necessarily associated with getting tear gassed or arrested or having police dogs set on them, right? And so I started thinking, well, why was it okay for me to assign that title activist to them and not to myself? And that really sort of figuring that out was what the book was about. It's sort of kind of figuring out, well, what does it mean to be an activist? And I've shared what I believe an activist is as well. And when did I finally get okay with the t- term activist for myself? And how can you get basically comfortable with assigning the work that you do to help make the world brighter and assigning that as an activist's work?
1: I like that because I really hadn't thought through it like that before. Yeah. Well, neither had I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess that's true. <laughs> well, how did you decide on the structure? So you have the idea, you have these people in mind that you're going to speak with, you're evaluating your own life in terms of activism how did it all come about? How did you decide how you were going to format it? What order it would come in? How you would talk about it? Well, so the first thing that I had, I had
0: decided was I knew that I wanted to use the metaphor of light, because light has always been really important to me as a photographer. The word photographer actually means to draw with light. And I, you know, as I share in the book, like any photographer will tell you that when they're taking a photograph, what they're doing is not taking a photograph of the subject, right? They're taking a photograph of what the light is doing to the subject, how it's falling on the subject, right? And so so I've been you know, I've been shooting for decades at this point and you know, I've always really been intrigued by that. And then I've always really been intrigued by how when you take a portrait of someone that feels really like you captured their essence, there's something about them that feels like light when you take the shot. When you take the shot, you actually almost see like a flash of their inner light, right? And when you take and you know when you've got the right the shot. You're like, okay, I I did it. And so I've always sort of used light as a metaphor for my work and for writing about things like joy and gratitude and look for the light. And that's always been something that I've always, always used, which is I think why the publisher originally contacted me, it was because I write that way. I write about that. So that was sort of the first thing that I that I thought about. I'm like, okay, I want to use a light metaphor with this. And then as I started asking people about their own journeys and becoming activists, it suddenly dawned on me that really the metaphor of a campfire, of how you build a campfire, is sort of like what you do to determine how are you going to help serve the world. And so it's about finding out what fuels you, right, and with a campfire. Like, what are the things that you have? What are the skills and gifts that you have? What is the spark that actually makes you want to use these things? What are the causes that you're passionate about? And then how do you, like, once you've gotten the, the, the fire lit, how do you tend to the fire? How do you take care of your own, your own fire and, and make sure that you don't burn out, right? Like you're actually, it's sort of a, a slow burn as you do this. And then how do you celebrate that? So the metaphor of building a campfire and of making light sort of kind of um, went hand in hand with it. I love that campfire analogy yeah it was really sort of a surprising analogy that came to me as well like I kept thinking, well what what is this like? And as I was interviewing it, I thought, oh, that's it, and I, I will be let's let me be really sort of honest. I am not a person who camps right like like I am not an outdoorsy person, but it just sort of dawned on me like I've seen people talk about that there's a way to build fire, and I mean, I've built fires in the past before, but you know, I really sort of went through like researching like how do scouts build fire? How do you know how how do you how do you actually build a fire in a way that's that actually can last through the night if you were to camp or that kind of thing. And so I actually did a lot of research on it and I said, oh, you know, this analogy, it's exactly like what these friends and these, you know, these old and new friends were sharing with me about how they suddenly were sort of realized I've got to do something and I have this gift and I can use this gift in a way that can help help people help my community or help other communities. And it just kind of went from there.
1: I just think that's so great thinking about the fire continuing to burn, not burning too hot, so it'll burn out too quick, not burning too slow, or not really catching on so it will never burn strong. That's really such a great analogy. Thank you. I I was pretty proud of it when it finally came. Thank you. And I love that you had to research it. Yeah, I totally did. (laughs) That's great. What was the hardest part about writing the book? I mean, we may have talked about some of that already, but as you look back, what was the thing that you really struggled with? You know,
0: what is interesting about that? First of all, I, I, you know, just to be honest with you, my, I have written another book in the past called The Beauty of Different, and it was a book that had a lot of photography in it, and I really have always written and you know made photographs sort of hand in hand. And so, the idea that I was going to write a book that didn't include photographs was really pretty intimidating to me. I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, you know, for me, one inspires the other. And this, you know, you're, you've taken away sort of one of my arms here. You know, <laughs> I'm going to have to do this, you know, one handed. And so, that was probably the hardest part. What was surprisingly not difficult was that I wrote this book in 2020 when all kinds of things were happening in this country, right? So, I got. My book deal and signed the book deal in early March of 2020. Oh my gosh! And so, like as soon as I did it, months later, you know, weeks later, we're shutting down for the pandemic. George Floyd is killed. Breonna Taylor is killed. Like there, you know, th- there was just one thing after the other that was really, really difficult that was happening in the world. And at one point, my editor, the the person who originally asked me to write the book, she called me and she said. I feel like I owe you an apology <laughs> that I'm making you write this book in the middle of just dumpster fire of a year. Like it's so difficult. I was actually really quite surprised when she did that because I had found it to be exactly the opposite. That as things were just going insane in this country, I was interviewing these people who were had made it sort of their life mission to make the world better in all different arenas, right? Like, you know, for women or for the LGBTQ community or for people who had just recently been released from prison or, you know, anti-discrimination in, you know, in the immigrant community. or It was just interview after interview of people who were just really, really doing amazing work to make the world better. And there was something very healing about that, right? Like things got bad in the world. I'd read the news and then I'd have an interview scheduled and suddenly I would feel like oh you know what there are people like this that exist in the world we might actually be okay right like we this might actually we might actually survive this and continue to make progress and so that was a real gift of it and i you would have thought it, that would be the hard part but it actually wasn't the hard part
1: well did you feel it was nice to have the distraction of the book to work on in the midst of the pandemic as well i'm asking like is you know for me like i launched this podcast because I couldn't just sit by watching the news go by all the time, and it would elevate my anxiety levels to no end. And I needed something that I could focus on that was something other than just reading the news and the dumpster fire that the world was, and to be able to kind of focus on something else where, you know, it wasn't about the world, but it was something I really enjoyed doing gave me a purpose. Yes. I don't know if you felt the book was the same way. Yes,
0: that I did. It didn't feel so much as a distraction as... A way to channel any anxiety that I was having into something that felt like purpose and progress, for sure. It's sort of, you know, the other thing that I started doing, which, again, is completely unlike me, is I started what I call a movement practice, but it's basically working out. (laughs) um but i hate exercise so i hate to say working out but like and and also by the way my movement practice involves hula hoops and jump ropes so oh, fun do with that what you will but i started to realize that i needed to do that to sort of exorcise right e x o r exercise sort of any stress or anxiety that i was having about the day like it was just a way to kind of work it through my body and 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 let it go and in a lot of ways writing the book was very sort of similar it was it's it was a way to sort of channel and also yeah it, yeah, I wouldn't use the word distraction, but definitely something to focus some of that that nervous energy that needed to be discharged. And you know, and I of course when i when I agreed to do the book, I didn't know that that was what it was going to become, right? like I because none of that none of those things had happened yet, but it definitely served that purpose for sure. Good.
1: Well, what about what you want readers to take away from your book?
0: Yeah. So I think the the biggest thing that I would want readers to take away would have to do with, well, a few things, right? Like, I guess the first thing is that I want them to understand what activism is and that it doesn't have to be this big scary thing and that we all have it within us to be activists and that there are as many different ways to be an activist as there are people interested in being activists, right? Like, it looks different for every person. It should look different for every person. And then the second thing I think is that I would want people to really be inspired to take the time to do some serious self-discovery and introspection as to what it is that they love to do, the things that light them up, and figure out how to do those in ways that can be of service, right? Because if you're doing things that you already love to do, whether it be photography or writing or whatever it is, then You help mitigate some burnout, right? When you're doing it to be of service because you already love to do it. Like, for example, I always love that one thing that somebody might want to do is run for office, for example. That might be the way that they do it. Now, me personally, there's absolutely nothing about me that would ever want to run for office. So for me to do that, or for me to go like canvas from door to door, which is not something that I would love to do, like I would get burnt out very quickly because I'd be forcing myself into what I think activism should look like, right? But is not natural to me. So I think that's the other thing that I think is really, really important. And then the third thing that I think I would want people to take away is that that self-care and self-compassion don't have to mean tapping out because you're exhausted. It can actually be a pillar of your activism, that it's actually a way that you proactively gather your energy to go back in, right? So there's a rhythm to activism in order to avoid burnout and sort of hang on to your joy in that you you push but then you also sort of you stop and refuel and and you get ready to go back in and push again. So it's not just, you know, I think a lot of people think of activism as 100% other facing and I think the truth is that activism should be a rhythm where you take care of yourself so you have the energy to go back in And then if we're all doing that, right, we're all doing it in our own rhythms, then there's sort of a a steady push that continues to happen because we're doing this in community with other activists, if that makes sense.
1: You're ebbing and flowing and everybody's ebb and flow is going to be different. So there'll always be a bottom level or a top level of constant stuff happening.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly it.
1: Well, I like that. And I agree on the self-care because if you're to the point where you must have self-care, it's too late. Like you need to have self-care rotated into everything you're doing just to make sure you can keep going.
0: I think that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: In all aspects of life, not even just activism, I think.
0: That was sort of happened throughout the book. It was There were a lot of these sort of the wisdom that I got from all of these amazing people that was about activism, but it actually probably works in other areas of your life as well.
1: I thought that several times as I was reading your book. There were times when I'm like, oh, yes, I encounter this in all parts of my life, and that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you are the Senior Director for Global Engagement for the Brene Brown Education and Research Group. I am. That's a mouthful. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me what you do in this role.
0: So Brene is a, um, she's a social scientist. A lot of people know her work. Uh, She does a lot of research on courage and empathy and shame and vulnerability. And um, she's, you know, a five time New York Times bestseller. She just had a book that was released this week, actually. And, and I help make sure that her work and what she does reaches outside of the United States as well. Like I make sure that the people who are engaging in her work, feel fully engaged with her work, and that we're making sure that that we're paying attention to everyone around the world, because the mission of the organization is to make the world a braver place.
1: So do you travel a lot? Well, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't have in 2020. But I think some people are traveling again, not a lot, but some and yeah, of course, Omicron may change that again. But yeah, pre pandemic, did you travel a lot? And do you envision that you will again?
0: Well, I actually started working for her with it. I mean, Brene and I have been have been friends for, you know, over a decade at this point. But I actually started working in this position during the pandemic, I got the gig. So yeah, so I have not traveled. I've traveled once, I think for my job. And that's it just a really quick trip it, a domestic trip. But but yeah, I hope so. I hope, you know, our our hope is that, it, you know, as the world opens up again, we can start getting in planes and doing some international travel,
1: but not yet. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially with the way everything's looking right now. I can understand that. Yeah, exactly. So are you working on anything at the present that you'd like to share with me? Or are you just enjoying getting this book out into the world? And you also have a podcast and a blog. So you may want to talk about all of that right now, too.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's so funny. The last month or so I've been really, really focused on getting the book out. So, so I haven't done as much of the other stuff, but I, you know, actually right before I logged on with you, I was writing a blog post that I hadn't written for a while. So you can find me at com. I've got all the usual suspects when it comes to social media, but you can get it all there from com.
1: Yeah. And I love the name of your podcast, The Make Light Show. Absolutely. Yeah. Where I interview people who are making light
0: all over the world, which is a lot of fun. It's, it's been on a bit of a hiatus right now, but I'm hoping to get back to it.
1: Well, it's almost a full-time job probably getting your book launched out into the world. <laughs> so you're like, I don't really have time for all that extra stuff right now.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But I'm hoping to get back because it gives me a lot
1: of joy and it makes a lot of light in my own life as well. Well, you probably learn a lot too. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what books you recommend.
0: Well, because I have been focused on it this week, Definitely. Brene Brown's latest book, The Atlas of the Heart, which is amazing. And it's about 87 emotions that, and experiences that we all have as humans and that, how we can get the language around it to kind of express what we're feeling. So, so that's a great book. Um, I'm looking actually at my desk as I speak to you. I also have another book actually edited by Brene and Tarana, my two dear friends, called You Are Your Best Thing which is about vulnerability, shame, resilience, and the Black experience in the United States. So that's a really amazing book as well. And finally, one that I just love talking about is Becoming Better Grownups by Brad Montague, who was the creative mind behind Kid President. I don't know if you remember, it was really during like 2016 election, Kid President was this little kid who was giving pep talks to the world on video. His videos went viral. And Brad, his mission is to make children realize that their voices matter. And the book Becoming Better Grown Ups is him interviewing very young people, and also very old people, sort of octogenarians, nonagenarians, about what does it mean to become a better grown up. And I feature his work and wisdom in my book, but he is just a delight. And that book is wonderful. One of my favorite books.
1: Okay, good. Well, I always love when I learn about new recommendations. That's one of my favorite parts of interviewing everybody is to find new good books to read. Absolutely. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today on the thoughts from a page podcast. This was super interesting. I feel like I learned a lot from your book and I learned even more from speaking with you.
0: Well, this was an absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes. And luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes.
1: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time.